I am your host, the Doc Chad Matthews, lordsofpain.net. Wherever you may be listening, Doc says, Doc says... Uh. This is just what the doc ordered I'm saying welcome They sick of the other shows Chad here to help them The author of the mania era Is bringing terror on L.O.P. radio This is to prepare for the knowledge That he about to showcase Like a bar that you lift His opinions hold weight He wrote a few books And he's working on another for y'all This a five-star podcast Chad, let's get it on Author of the Wrestlemania era The book of sports entertainment And of the doctor's orders On lordsofpain.net Doc says. Hello and welcome to The Doc Says on LOP Radio. I am your host, The Doc Chad Matthews, author of the WrestleMania era book series and of The Doctor's Orders on LOP Radio. Version 2.0 of this show rose, rolls on into its third month, back with the third installment of the Sunday Wrestling Conversation. Joining me today is both a fellow podcaster who I've interacted with for many years and hope to share a beer with at a live wrestling show in the future, but who I have actually never spoken with before tonight, as well as a good friend of the program from the original version of this show that aired from June 2013 until last September. And I've already shared with a, a beer with him in person during WrestleMania 32 weekend in Dallas. The former is Kyle Moore's the latter is Ray Cash, and together they form two-thirds of the Outsider's Edge podcast on the ChairShot.com network. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks so much for having me, man. It's like a dream come true. Kind of you it's, to say. It's good to be back. Always good to talk with my boy Chad. And I want to say I think it's so it's so appropriate that when we actually have a show with you on LLP Radio, Carl isn't here. That's the most appropriate thing in the world. <laughs> it's you know, a bummer. Shout out to Carl for being out there doing his adult stuff. But yeah. we are both very excited to be here and bring with us that power of positivity that the Outsider's Edge likes to put out there into the wrestling community. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, these, these three guys, absent Carl tonight, these three guys, they do a very nice job of infusing the pro wrestling internet podcast scene with uh with a, a flair for for the glasses half full uh counterbalancing some of the more negative stuff that takes place on the internet but kyle you mentioned the power of positivity and that brings me to the first topic i want to discuss with you tonight the power of positivity was on full display at wrestlemania 35 kofi kingston of the new day becomes the wwe champion in an absolute classic opposite Daniel Bryan, ironically, Daniel Bryan, given several years prior, he was in a very similar situation himself. The fact that he was the heel in this situation is incredible in its own right. Excellent match between those two. My question for you to start the show today, guys, is after last weekend's show dove all the way through WrestleMania 35 weekend, I had a chance to go back and rewatch a few things. Rewatching Kofi versus Daniel Bryan, I started to wonder, where does this rank in the pantheon of WrestleMania-era classics specific to the show of shows itself? And Kyle, I'm going to throw it to you first, man. Where is your reading on that? I know, obviously, we're only, you know, we're two weeks removed, so we're not going to be able to, for quite a while, fully gauge the historical implications of this match with the passage of time comes some very valuable intangibles for ranking matches against each other. But Kyle, just initial reaction here. Where are you thinking? Give me an area, want to call it top 30, top 20, whatever you may call it, and give me some matches that are in your pantheon that surround it that you might be willing to move it ahead of. I'm going to put it in my top 10 for mid-card WrestleMania matches when you consider where it fell on the card i would put it in that same class with like steamboat savage middle of the card steals the show great moment matches um i would definitely put it ahead of within that genre i'd put it ahead of the tlc match at wrestlemania 17 as much as i loved that match um i'd put it ahead of the triple threat ladder match at wrestlemania 2000 um, I'd put it ahead of 
Kane versus Triple H at WrestleMania 15, which was, I think, a very underrated match with great story implications. But for me, that feel-good moment of seeing Kofi Kingston become the first African WWE champion um, carries a lot of gravitas for me and really puts that match up there in those top like mid-card WrestleMania performances for me. Just out of curiosity, if we were to expand it out beyond the mid-card classic and just were to put it up against everything, all the titans of WrestleMania lore, does that change your opinion at all? Does that keep it in the top ten caliber? Or is there a different conversation to be had in your mind when comparing it to main events? If I had to incorporate all of the WrestleMania matches that have ever happened, you know, main events, openers, and everything else, I'd still probably have it in my, like, top 25. I wouldn't necessarily go as high as top 10, but I'd still definitely have it in my top 25 um, because of how tight that story that they told was from um, the end of the Royal Rumble through to WrestleMania and the way that they managed to incorporate so much of Kofi Kingston's, Kingston's career history, but also to harken back to the Daniel Bryan B-plus player storyline and have him be the corporate guy on the other side. Um, I'd still, for all of those reasons, keep it in my top 25, if not necessarily still in my top 10. I think that last part that you mentioned about the story leading up to it is, in my opinion, what helps set it apart. I don't think that if this just would have been one of those matches like we've seen in the not-too-distant past, where it's just, okay, on paper this looks like it could be very interesting, okay, it delivers on the night, it steals the show, it's memorable, we'll look back at that particular WrestleMania and say, that was the match that defined that show for me. But when you incorporate the backstory, and how organic that rise was for Kofi Kingston, you know, I have, uh, it's interesting, you know, Ray Cash, when we went to WrestleMania 32, And we saw, I mean, that was right around the time when the New Day was getting really hot initially. Mm -hmm. And the most popular selling item that weekend at the WrestleMania area was the damn Bootios box with a shirt in it. I mean, a a fake box of cereal was the most popular selling item. To me, you know, (laughs) my God, I mean, that, that group, to me, I would have assumed by now that this thing with Kofi Kingston would have already happened. But three years from that point, doesn't actually seem too terribly long in hindsight, but when you compare it with the rest of his career and how long many have said how how uh, how this was such a long time coming, according to many, it's a big deal, man. It's it's wild to see everything that's come yeah. to fruition. So uh, that storyline, Ray Cash, talk about that aspect of it and how that influences how you feel about its place in WrestleMania history. Um, well, first, I think another interesting caveat to throw into it is you mentioned that three years, you think he would have made it by there. They allowed him to, to be himself and still be a part of a group, which normally when they push somebody to a championship reign, they split them from the group because that championship is so singularly focused. But he's still very happily a member of a stable. And that's so different than what they used they usually do. But for me personally, for those of you listening who don't know me, um, I'm a black man. And so the 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 emotions that that triggered that were triggered in me that night, just not only by the by the storyline, which was impeccably built and played out, but the moment. I mean, like I had tears in my eyes. You know, it's something that I know that I've talked to my kids about already and I will continue to talk to them and I'll never forget. It's a moment I'll never forget. So that moment kind of makes me want to push this match in the pantheon of, as you said, the Titans of WrestleMania. But um, you and I have talked about analytically ranking matches dozens of times. Hell, you wrote a book on it. Um, So if we're speaking of everything involved, the buildup was perfect. The moment was perfect. The match was really good. So I'm not saying the match wasn't excellent. The match was really good. But there have been excellent matches. I think of Angle and Michaels. I think of Rock and Austin 17. I think of Sean and Taker both times. There have been excellent matches with the same story quality. 
So if I'm having to rank it, um, as you're asking, as you asked Kyle, it's definitely a top top 30, 25 ish match um, because the moment is, quite frankly, top five all time WrestleMania. Easy. It's, it's easily up there with Elizabeth and Savage getting back together at, I believe that's eight, or Brian at 30. Like, it's up there at moments you'll never forget. But I think the match was, while it was the best match in the card that night, it doesn't stand up with the absolute best matches we've seen at WrestleMania. I'm not saying that it's, like, dropped down tremendously. It's, like, just a step below. And so that's that's where I think the tier changes. There's two things I want to touch on there. In those conversations we've had analytically in the past about ranking matches, one of the things I very frequently bring up is intangible qualities, the things that mm-hmm. you just can't, uh, you can't manufacture. Uh, you know, the Rock Hogan crowd at WrestleMania 18 is one that comes to mind. It's like you can't recreate that. That's just that's one of those once-in-a-lifetime type moments. And, you know, I think the fact that Kofi versus Brian is in that category of a moment, and even for, you know, even for, you know, it will, I obviously, I don't, it's not possible for it to have connected with me on the same level that it connected with you. But as someone who likes to analyze things, I think you can absolutely say that the fact that you said what you said, the fact that there was a tear in your eye, the fact that those types of stories were being posted on the internet and being shown over and over again on my Twitter timeline that night and the next day, you know, that's the type of intangible intangible quality that I think, no matter how you personally connected to it, you would look at it and you would say, that's one of the most special matches that ever took place at a WrestleMania with the entire presentation, with his kids coming into the ring, with his one son oh, jumping up on the second rope. And, and, and that's and the type of stuff space. that... That 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 yeah, would connect with everybody. Like, anybody who saw that, especially those of us who have kids, like, can you imagine your, you know your kid being there with you for the most special moment of your career, that would be, you know, I mean, that's unreal. So I love that. The the second thing that I wanted to bring up in response to you, Ray, is, um, so the match itself, I'm going to bring up two matches that I want to be taken into consideration by you both. I'm going to throw the first one at you. Okay. Daniel Bryan's best match at WrestleMania thus far, I would say, is against Triple H at WrestleMania 30. If you agree, agree with that, that, yeah. How do you rank? How would you rate Kofi versus Bryan against Bryan's match with Triple H? I I would personally rank Kofi versus Bryan better, just a bit higher, because I think. I think both matches are on this or are about comparable. If you're talking about from an in-ring from an in-ring standpoint, from an in-ring enjoyment standpoint, but while the Brian uh, triple H match was the better match than Brian Orton Batista that night, Brian Orton Batista was the match that brought the emotion with it. You know, it was triple H. Brian was kind of the appetizer. And then they served you with that 10 pound beauty, beautiful as, uh, or I'm sorry, beautiful steak. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's all I haven't been on LP in a while. I apologize. It's okay. Um, but that beautiful steak. And that's what, uh, Brian Orton and Batista was. So Kofi and Brian, as you said, didn't just have a really good match. On top of that, they had one of the best storylines we may have ever seen in our lifetime in the WrestleMania era as you've kind of coined. Um, so I'd put Kofi and Brian just a step above Brian Triple H. You know, and I think I actually would too. And I love Triple H versus Daniel Bryan. I think it's uh, one of those underrated classics. Somehow it's managed to go underrated in the WrestleMania era. But Kyle, throwing it back to you, I would put it above one of the matches that, that Ray Cash brought up a few minutes ago. The second Shawn Michaels Triple Eight or Shawn Michaels Undertaker match at WrestleMania 26. Shawn Michaels and his last match in the WWE, forever and always, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> where would you rank it in comparison to that match? I would rank it ahead of that match 
because for as good as that match was, the first one was better. And the first one will, for me anyway, always overshadow the second one. Um, so I would still put Kofi and Daniel ahead of it because the moment was so beautiful and the first Undertaker triple or HBK match kind of overshadows that second one for me by a big margin. And I would agree with you. And, and I would always say that HBK Taker 2, as much as I like it, is more top 25, top 30 to me. And I'm going to, as we start wrapping up this part of the conversation, gentlemen, I'm going to say at this moment that I would put Kofi versus Brian in my top 15 to 20, which, oh, wow. Um, and I would actually give it some, some potential upward mobility depending upon how rewatches look. But the, the, my first watch was absolutely fantastic. Was I liked it the first night. And I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I like to rewatch matches. I think that's how I get my best gauge for how good they were, as I appreciate them on the night. But I usually end up liking the best matches more in the future. So my first rewatch revealed everything that I would want from a great WrestleMania match. You know, the, the length of time, the story told. It was an older school match. It didn't need to go too heavy into the false finish fest that had become so popular. So I liked how it progressed and actually made finishing moves count. Its old school qualities really hooked me on replay. So combine that with the story, I'm in that top 15 to 20 category with the potential for it to move maybe a little bit higher than that. I wouldn't put it anywhere close to something like Angle versus Michaels or Shawn Michaels versus Jericho, Brett versus Owen, um, Rock Austin 2, as mentioned. There were a lot of WrestleMania matches that are still clearly above it to me, Savage and Warrior being another one. So still, for it to be in that kind of category, going into the weekend that weekend, I said the biggest thing it needed was it needed to maximize all that it could be. And if it did that, then it would have every right to join the Pantheon. And I think it has. Any further thoughts on that topic? Kyle? Well, while we're on the subject of the New Day, let's just uh, shout-outs and well wishes to Big E on uh, recovery from those surgery. Um, you will be missed. Absolutely. Ray Cash, any further thoughts on this topic? It's, it's just the conversation you and I have all the Like, I, I still... I understand that... What happened after the match with Warrior and Savage was amazing, but the match does nothing for me. Oh, but I'm not match. a Warrior Mark, and I know you're a Warrior Mark, so I can't really say anything. But I, when you hear it, I just kind of cringe every time I hear you say it. <laughs> but I get your reasons. I, I do get your reasons. <laughs> oh, man. You guys are missing out. That matches everything that sports <laughs> entertainment is supposed to be. The original. I'm not 80s enough for Warrior. But it's such a, even if you don't like Warrior, Warrior just plays his part very well, but it's it's one it's Savage's greatest performance. No better yeah. performance from Randy Savage. Yeah. And the commentary. Well, and the post match thing with Liz. It's just and Sherry Martell, it's the best performance of her career too. A lot of Hall of Fame talent make up that entire presentation, gentlemen. No, that's a fair point. I mean I, I get I get your reasoning. <laughs> Understood. Well, might have to do a solo <laughs> podcast just defending the virtues of that one uh, someday. Um, let's switch gears a little bit. Now that WrestleMania is over, uh, we are now just about a month away from AEW Double or Nothing. And All Elite Wrestling has taken the internet by storm in the last several months. And I've talked about it on this show. I'm excited to see what they do. Uh, I haven't really had a conversation with anybody about it, though. So I'm actually curious just to actually discuss it more openly for a little while. AEW, in general, and double or nothing, Kyle, what are your thoughts? Do you care? What's your temperature reading on AEW about a month out from their first big show? Oh, Doc, you you picked uh, an interesting pair to be your first people (laughs) to talk to about AEW because Ray Cash and I are not AEW haters. I will say this first of all. I attended all in live. I went to Chicago. I was at the show. I was there for the moment. One of the most fun uh, wrestling experiences I have ever had in my life, including going to WrestleMania. So, like, 
I am not saying this from a position of I want them to fail because I don't. I want them to be successful. But we are what I would call AEW realists. Um, We have some questions about the business model uh, or lack thereof um, in terms of like what exactly is the business model going to be. So we're taking more of a wait and see approach. Um, As of right now, I will probably watch Double or Nothing at some point, but I don't know if I'm going to watch it live. It's really going to depend on the card for me. With the card thus far, curious, are you... Does the so the card as it currently stands does not sell you? I've see I've seen so many of those guys in different combinations before that like other than Hangman Page versus the artist formerly known as Neville, um, none of the other announced matches are just like oh I have to see this night of I'm so like falling over myself to get it. Um, and that uh, part of it is also because Ray and I are big believers of paying for any content that we consume the legal Absolutely. way. Absolutely. So, like, if I'm going to pay my money for double or nothing, I'm probably going to wait for, like, do it at my leisure when I feel like doing it. I don't have to do it right when they do it Labor Day weekend. And that's totally fair. I think I would actually fall into the same camp at this point. With the NBA playoffs roaring into its various levels over the next four weeks, I will have to be sold a very good card with some interesting pieces of the puzzle that might fuel what comes after it uh, interlaced in there. I mean, at this point, it's just it's like a it's an exhibition show uh, almost. I, I know they have a, yeah. a little yeah. hype thing that they're doing on YouTube, but... I can't say I've watched that yet. I might make time for it between now and then. But I am excited for AEW, but I'm at that point personally before I throw it to you, Ray Cash, where I'm ready for whatever the next step is. I mean, it's like it's very cool, the very thought of a billionaire backing another wrestling company with some, you know, potential, you know, some potential visionaries, depending upon how things shake out. I mean, there's a lot on the line. If Cody and Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, etc., if they actually pull this thing off and it becomes very successful in a hurry, the way I think a lot of people hope it will, then, you know, by all means, I mean, this this concoction of personalities, talent, and money is going to be well worth all the time spent talking about it. But obviously, there's a lot of questions. One of the big questions is, what's this show going to be? What's this show going to mm-hmm. look like? And Ray, I'll throw that to you now. You know, what's your thought on that aspect of it, focusing on the dynamic of what this show is going to be, what you hope it will be, etc.? Okay. Um, well, first, let me say that um, much to backdoor what Kyle said. I am not a and I am not a and AEW hater. I'm actually I'm going to buy Double or Nothing tonight. It comes out only if not just because the card will be good and I'm sure it'll be impeccably wrestled. But I think I want to support the history of what they're doing that night. I want to support the ideology of what they're doing. But I need to say that I'm not a fan who's disenamored with WWE. So because of that, I don't feel that I am one of the core core audience that they are reaching towards or that seems to be um, navigating towards AEW as much. Um, Because a lot of what AEW is doing seems to be an alternative. And I'm happy with the regular. So uh, with that being said, I think that involving their TV and their roster and their just mindset about the company and their business in general, there's a general level of skepticism I have. Um, Because, number one, I don't think we've ever seen a company of this level that's literally run by nobody who's ever run wrestling before. That's That's something that concerns me. Um, I understand that Cody, the Bucks, even Kenny now, he's EVP. They've been arrested their whole lives. Cody was born in this. I get that. But they've never run a company before. Even All In was a Ring of Honor produced show. So they just booked it in terms of talent. But So it's one thing to book a show. It's another thing to book a promotion with weekly episodic television if that's the route they're going. Um, so my, I have a level of skepticism. I also have a level of skepticism with 
the the moves that they're making. I think the roster is impeccable. The roster you can't. I don't think anybody can argue against the the names and the talent that they have. But the things that they've come out and they've said, they've really set themselves really really high at on on this. I don't want to say a pedestal, but up in on this level that's almost unattainable because you know you're saying things like, well, we're gonna provide health care and we're going to um everyone gonna have equal pay and all these things that you're having to explain afterwards because it's not exactly what you meant. And it's something derived from from that idea, but it sounds good to the masses because you're trying to build a fan base. So that skepticism is really heavy in my mind. So now with the TV thing, and um, I I know we don't have a a whole bunch of time, but there was a report coming out today or yesterday in the past few days about their television that they had two deals on the table. One was prospectively with Turner. The other prospectively was with Showtime. And the Turner deal, Turner was all in until they realized that that all in wasn't run by them. And then it took it off the deal, took it off the table. And then now AEW, in turn, this is all conjecture. None of this is is guaranteed to be true so far. But it's, you know, we take rumors as we take rumors. But AEW, in turn, is now trying to say either we'll do, uh, we don't get paid, just split ad revenue, or we'll pay you for the time slot. So, like, I think there's so much that's, there's there is nothing concrete right now other than, the name of the company, the roster, and the actual shows. I need more concrete facts about this before I can make an educated educated thought process, an idea on if this is something that I'm going to invest my time and my money in, besides the first show. What do you hope that it is? I hope it's a viable alternative. I hope that it is a... I hope it's it's a show that is self-aware and knows that bias aside, it'll, they'll never overtake the WWE and doesn't want to. And is very happy in being who they are. Very happy in being the place for the fan who doesn't want Vince's ideology. For the fan that wants something different. For the fan that enjoys Joy Ryan skits or Orange Cassidy matches or Marco stunt matches or Joey Janela stunt for that, or the fan that loves even going further, the fan that loves the Kenny Omega, you know, opera esque style of match that's 55 minutes in, you can't even wrestle for three weeks afterwards because you're so hurt. Like that fan is growing by the day, and by and large, a lot of those fans feel disenamored by what WWE gives them because WWE, the land and the marquee, is entertainment. So. I think where Ring of Honor and TNA or Impact Wrestling now has failed, uh, where New Japan is trying to get in the lane, I think AEW has a head start on that lane. And as long as they know their lane and don't try to do anything that they're not, I think they'll be excellent. I think they'll be a wonderful number two, and I can't wait to uh, watch their show if they, whenever they get it together on whatever day it is, and say, man, now i got an extra day of wrestling I can watch wrestling on. A lot of great points I would made agree. there. Kyle? I, I would agree with pretty much everything Ray said as far as, like, accepting where you are in terms of, like, they're not going to overtake WWE, and we don't say that in a hater way. We say that in a WWE has monopolized the market share. Yeah. They, they're they too large a global entity at this point, so ingrained with the term wrestling that when you say wrestling to non-wrestling fans, they immediately say back to you, oh, you mean like WWE? Um, so accepting that you're not going to you're not going to overtake that. You can't be that level, but providing other audiences with an accessible alternative because I think where all of these other companies have really failed is that they're not very easily accessible. Sinclair does a terrible job of making Ring of Honor accessible to your average viewer. New Japan World is very much a niche thing. Some people are willing to try to navigate it. Other people don't like having to navigate something that's not primarily geared towards English language speakers. 
Um, and impact, I mean, you know, <laughs> I live in the American South, y'all, so I'm going to use a Southernism. Bless their poor little hearts, but, you know, <laughs> they've been on, like, six, seven, eight networks, gone through so many different ownership changes. Like, at this point, poor little impact, poor little Tink Tink. You know. Um, so, like, hopefully AEW can be better than that, and they can be on a network like Turner. Like, even if they have to pay for the time, what does it say about how much Turner Media has changed? that they're even entertaining the concept sure. of putting a wrestling show on that network. Yeah, I mean it's a, there's a lot to there's a lot s- s- to still be determined about everything, absolutely. So there's plenty of reason for skepticism, plenty of reason for optimism. If they land on Turner, what a humongous thing that would be as professed by Shane and Miz fan from LOP Radio's All About All Elite show, which is a great show that if you want to hear any long-term, long-form you know, form conversation about AEW, that's, to me, doesn't get any better than that. They do such a great job with it. But Shane was talking about how huge it would be for AEW to land on TN- TNT because there are so many WCW fans like himself and he's the guy who spearheaded the effort to get the WCW legacy legacy series podcast that mm-hmm. went through the entirety of WWE's paper or WCW rather's pay-per-view library. I mean, he talked about how much it would mean to him as a former WCW diehard fan to see AEW end up on Turner network. I mean, that, that would be incredible. I think for me, one of the things that's not being talked about much, and this is what I've sort of settled into feeling like over the past few months since the initial excitement started to wear off and we were just basically, at that point, just waiting around hoping that something big was going to happen again. Because that, that, that's what it needs to fuel its, its big picture you know, ideas, is it needs big things to happen. It needs... A big signing that no one expects. It needs a big splash at Double or Nothing with something like that coming out of it. It needs the Turner Network deal. It needs something big to sustain the next wave of momentum. But do you guys remember the fact that um, I believe the first advertisement that we saw for WWE Network was in 2011? When did the WWE Network actually come to fruition? Early February 22nd, 2014, yeah. I mean, it took yep. nearly three years. I believe it was during WrestleMania 27 that they aired their first advertisement for WWE Network, and it didn't actually happen until three years later. So I'm, I'm curious just to get your quick thoughts on what if this thing with AEW actually doesn't really get to the level that we're hoping that it will until a couple of years down the road? Will that kill perception of it? I mean, what if... Because we're not talking necessarily about an impact-type scenario at that point. We're talking about a show that came in with white-hot momentum from a fan base that seemingly is starving for what I hope AEW becomes, which is basically New Japan Pro Wrestling's booking style with North American people, uh, geared toward North Americans and and the English-speaking population at large, as Kyle mentioned. So... You know, that would be awesome, but what if we're sitting here 18 months down the road and there's still not a whole lot that's that's taken shape? I don't think that the bigger, I don't think that the big issue in that scenario is public perception as much as the, the entertainment and how quickly a network will throw in the towel on an underperforming show in favor of something that they think might do better. So I think the bigger risk to them, if it's a slow burner that like isn't successful right away is that if they're on, especially if they're on a network like Turner, that's probably already a little skeptical of bringing back wrestling onto their network. I could see them being like, all right, so these numbers don't look great, and it's not what we thought this was going to be. So uh, thanks, we tried, and we'll see you later. Um, so I think that's their bigger concern, if it's not immediately successful. I think that the fans, if it becomes enjoyable, the fans will watch it, and we won't be talking about, um, 
oh, they weren't successful right away as much as it'll be like anything else where the hipsters that were there at the beginning are like high and mighty with the newbies talking about, oh, I remember when this was still a brand new company and nobody would watch it. Ray Cash, let me ask you this. Would it not behoove a company like AEW then to maybe find a home on a not-so-popular network just so that they can show themselves as being capable of establishing an audience on television? And then, you know, a couple years down the line, given that Tony Khan is backing the project, by that point it will have had the opportunity to have a lot more all-in type shows where they're selling out 10,000-plus seat arenas for bigger pay-per-view type events then go i mean and 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 push from there because the one big thing that makes them so unique among their peers as secondary wrestling companies in North America or the United States based anyway is simply put you know none of them have ever had the kind of financial backing and high profile of that financial backer as this company does at least not in 20 plus years um, I, and I, I think that's why if you if you if anybody's ever if anybody's read that report, that's why um, top brass of AEW seems to be wanting to wanting them to push towards the Showtime deal for that very reason. Um, it's different. It's yes, it's a premium network, but it's it goes along with their quote unquote game changer attitude. I think your idea is actually what they should have done in the first place. I would have just done streaming online, you know. So much of your of your footprint has been built through social media. I mean, being the elite built the entire all in pay-per-view. There was no build on any other wrestling show. It was built on a YouTube series. Um, So, yeah, use what's available to you. But um, I disagree with Kyle for these very reasons. Um, AEW and the way that they have built this thing, the way they have pitched this thing. They have pitched it as it is the biggest and most grandiose thing that could be possible by anybody not named Vincent Kennedy McMahon. And I think that so many people have built themselves up and so many people have believed the expectations that they've built for themselves and built, been built by the Internet wrestling community. So they swung, they're swinging for the fences. They've swung for the fences. Whereas had they done what you just suggested, which I think would have been a better idea or a better play, which is start slow and build it up. Cause very clearly they, they've shown that there's a man for them to come to the shows. There's no problem for that. They'll sell out shows. People love to go to wrestling shows and they have a roster that's interesting enough to want to watch. The question is, are they going to want to watch on TV? Are the ratings going to be important to that company where from in a different perspective than what the ratings are to WWE? Because they got 20 plus years of consistent viewing. Um, so, yes, I would have gone a different route than trying to swing for the fences and get on network television immediately. But that just goes along with everything the company's done. They've swung for the fences on everything. They went and got Chris Jericho and signed them into like a three year deal. Jericho's wrestled like five matches in the past few years. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't have made him a pillar of their company. Because they realized how important just grabbing him was to the market share. So they're really going with this grandiose ideology and thought process. And this is the thing that comes with it. If it doesn't work, you know, it doesn't work. But I think it's I think this is I think it's fair to say and important to say that this venture will work as long as the cons are invested. Yeah. Because if they think about impact. Impact's been sold like three, four times. They've moved channels a hundred different times. They've been on the precipice of failure forever. And I don't know how they're surviving. But if the because, concerts- because we got to give them credit for one thing. I got to give them credit for one thing. Mm-hmm. As creatively terrible as Impact Wrestling is on any given year, that is a company that somehow manages to consistently find good talent. Fair enough. Yeah, that's a good, good point. point. Like, and they've like, had a good year. At the year. end of the day, they consistently find good talent. John Morrison is a great talent. His wife is a great talent. Brian Cage division. is a great talent. Like, the entire women's division that they've had for the past almost 10 years now. Yeah, that's a good oh, point. Oh, yeah. yeah like, that's true. So many great talents. So, like, that's why they continue to survive. 
Yeah. All right. So as long as the cons are invested, I think they'll be fine. Kyle, throwing it back to you, I want to bring up a name that I've actually heard very quietly, granted, but I've heard this name thrown around as a potential humongous surprise. I mean, and it to me would be the game changer. And it's almost barely worth talking about because it seems still so far-fetched to me. But if CM Punk shows up at AEW Double or Nothing, what does that mean? It means wrestling <laughs> fans... Do- it means Daniel Bryan's right. Wrestling fans are fickle and they deserve every terrible thing that happens to them. Because the fact <laughs> that people still chant for this man who hates them, who openly hates them, dumbfounds me. Can, can, uh, can, can I give a can I give a, a more structured response? Yes, please. Please do. Please do. So I've I've said numerous times that CM Punk is a legendary wrestler, but Phil Brooks is is a butthole. Sure. To be PG, okay. Yeah. Um, Phil Brooks doesn't have one single solitary care about the wrestling business anymore. He has proven that on numerous occasions. So my now I'm maybe I'm a jaded punk fan, maybe I'm a guy who appreciates people who want to be here. And so maybe maybe I'm looking at this from a skewed bias standpoint and I can I can admit that. But I would look at CM Punk showing up as two major things. Number one, AEW pulling everything out the the rabbit and the the they're pulling everything out the hat. And two, uh, error of being of error of, of 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 both parties being desperate because going to get punk and and knowing everything he said about wrestling everything he feels about wrestling the numerous lawsuits he's had to deal with recently about wrestling i i you know it's one thing for him to do a signing because that's just quick money in his pocket but to actually consistently uh you know give his time to the business it's another conversation so I think that was your error of desperation from him and from the company because you do we do, do does the company really need that big of a name after everything they've done? It wouldn't hurt, but that's not the name. And you know, I, I think it's a travesty he's not wrestling anymore. I think it's a travesty the way he fell out of favor with the wrestling business. But he's gone and he's done and he doesn't want to be a part of this anymore. He enjoys fighting for fun. And God bless them. Have fun. Do your thing, man. You're old enough and you've been through enough to live your life. But I just don't think wrestling is the thing for him anymore. And I don't think AEW should want it to be the thing for him anymore because you're trying to build a business based on consistency and trust. And he don't have the trust no more of the the fan base. I don't think. I disagree with you both. I'm rather surprised at, at the reaction that I've received from that name. Maybe I'm not totally shocked by it. Still a little surprised. I think CM Punk is the only name that they could go get that would absolutely just take this undercurrent of enthusiasm from the diehard fan base that this company's targeting and just absolutely blow it up. I mean, blow it up to a level that nobody thought possible. And the reason is because there might be a lot of people that feel like you guys, and then there are going to be a lot of people that feel like I do, which is that CM Punk was our fan anchor. He was the reason why we watched WWE for a couple of years. And he went away not because he hates professional wrestling, but be- but because he hates what WWE has made professional wrestling. Everything he ever said in work shoot promos, in worked promos, and in shoot promos has always been that he just wanted WWE to be the best that it could be. He wanted press- professional wrestling to look a certain way. And a lot of people, myself included, really liked his vision for it. Now, what we've essentially seen from AEW is the manifestation of the change he wanted to create. You know, instead of creating it within WWE, recognizing that at this point, that is to the degree that he wanted it to be, just simply not possible. Cody Rhodes and these guys have basically taken a a vision that, for diehard fans, guys like CM Punk helped cultivate and have splashed it into the manifestation of a second wrestling company that's got a lot of potential. If CM Punk shows up, it just galvanizes that fan base. I think that any downside to it is offset by what he brings to the table in the event that he's even halfway motivated. I think that they've got the ability to 
cultivate some passion that was there for 20 years of his life. That stuff just doesn't go away. You can become jaded with something you were once passionate about, but if the reason why you were so jaded about it's been taken off the table, in this case, that's WWE for him, then what's left is the platform to potentially go create something that would, at the very least, and this is why I disagree with the desperation part, I think CM Punk psychologically is dying to give WWE a much bigger th- middle finger than than anybody has, has afforded him the platform to do thus far. If he had become a huge UFC star, I think in part it would have been because he wanted to say, blank you, to WWE. This gives him another opportunity, and one that he's far better suited for, for crying out loud. Here's a couple of things that I think CM Punk would do, just to, to emphasize this point of how big of a deal I think that would be. And I'm in no way suggesting that it's at all realistic, just saying that, wow, what it would mean if they could pull it off and if he was up for it. I was, I was thinking while you guys were talking about the, the TV situation, is if they were to, to go a slower route and they just wanted to build some momentum and they just waited for the right TV deal just instead of just having a TV deal, which I think has always been the desperation that came through for companies like Impact, is they just they, they felt they felt they had to get on a network. No matter which one it was, they were going to get on a network because that's what wrestling companies do. What if AEW was instead a bit more patient? And let's say that six months down the road, probably more risk, more realistically, a year from now, then what's, what's the double or nothing, whatever they call it, in May of 2020, is selling out the Jacksonville Jaguar Stadium. You know, pu- pu- putting 65,000 people in that space, you, you'd be hard-pressed to say that they were anything but successful, even if they didn't have a TV deal they wanted yet in place a year from now. Their, their ability to pull something like that off would be amazing. But I, I think putting I think CM Punk showing up in that company and becoming an active participant and building whatever they hope to build, I think that's the equivalent of, of stuffing 65,000 people in a stadium. It, it's got a resonance that I think is, is being underrated, or would be if the conversation was being had well beyond this podcast, which to my knowledge, it's not a popular topic. So um, let's let's get ready to move on. But, gentlemen, any follow-up thoughts to that comment or series of comments? Just real quick, I, I don't disagree with your, your premise. I think the issue isn't bringing Punk in. The issue is keeping him. So absolutely, that very first – if Punk ever makes any appearance on any wrestling show, the very first time, it'll be one of the biggest, most – talked about watched moments in wrestling history. I think we all can accept that and agree with that. But this isn't a company that's that exists and is looking to spike a rating. This is a company that's looking to build a goodwill with a fan base that's looking for something different. So yeah, bringing Punk in at first will definitely bring some conversation and will definitely bring some interest. But if he isn't invested and it doesn't work, it'll hurt them infinitely more because the company is starting than it would any other company. And that's my concern, if that makes more sense. Sure. It does. Kyle? Okay. Um, no, I, I would agree with, I would kind of agree with what Ray was saying. Um, I think you're absolutely right as far as, like, Punk is a marquee name. Punk, like, no ifs, ands, buts about it. Punk is a marquee name, and Punk was, is a joy to watch. And we know that he was one of the best to do what he does and he could contribute to the company creatively as well as um as a performer but um i just i don't know i i don't see it as a realistic option at the moment but i mean i'd mark for it absolutely absolutely i think it would be (laughs) i'm smiling from ear to ear thinking about the possibility of that happening that would be and, and, and here's the thing, what, and this is partly driven by the narrative created by the aforementioned All About All Elite podcast here on LOP Radio. The, the guys that host that show have talked a lot about how they don't want to see guys from WWE just show up that, you know, just, just show up out of nowhere and do the same thing they've been doing 
That's not what they want to see. They don't want to see a Randy Orton show up there because they... Impact tried that. It doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. That would be, certainly for me, one of the biggest things I don't want to see because my interest in Impact, which was strong in its infancy, died the moment they tried to become WWE light, and it didn't work. Yep, Hulk Hogan. You know? um, so, obviously, AEW doing that would be awful, but WWE bringing in, or excuse me, AEW bringing in a guy who was who was WWE and had that machine behind him and really did. I mean, the machine was behind CM Punk for about mm-hmm. about thirty months, mm-hmm. and to then, but at the same time, he represents this big anti WWE sentiment. So, uh, bringing him into the fold would be utterly fascinating. So, let's move on. The final topic, switching gears to WWE, is. It had its big superstar shakeup this past week, and not going to talk much about that on this show. I'm actually going to be a guest on the Outsider's Edge myself, and we'll continue that conversation that we start now about the superstar shakeup there. But gentlemen, interesting as always. I mean, it's kind of hit or miss. You've got the NXT call-ups, you know, a few that maybe we weren't expecting one with a lot of controversy behind it from the off with the Viking experience, <laughs> um, formerly the War Raiders, formerly War Machine. So that aside, don't necessarily want to get into that here, but it was its usual mixed bag, I felt. I mean, it's tough to really say uh, too much in reaction to a superstar roster shakeup because it all really just depends on what they do with it. You know, on paper... Some of the moves are always going to be more interesting than others. I think perhaps the most interesting move was based, was trading Roman Reigns and AJ Styles. That, to me, stands out as the biggest shakeup news, and it informed the, a lot of what I want to talk about on this show about the shakeup. But both of you, give me your overall impression, and from the rosters themselves now, as is on paper, What's the match or a couple of matches that really are the ones you're hoping to see most and see at the, the best possible presented level for for what comes next in the year that comes from now until WrestleMania 36 is in the books? Kyle? Um, all right. Well, I'm going to start with my favorite show, which um, listeners to The Outsider's Edge will know is SmackDown Live. Um I'm gonna. I would say, you know, Roman moving to SmackDown Live makes perfect sense when you consider one very simple fact: Roman Reigns is the face of that company, and that company just got a billion dollars from the Fox Corporation to move networks in October. So you go and put the face of the company on the big money show, and SmackDown is now the big money show in terms of that TV contract. So, like, that makes total sense. Um, as far as matchup that I'm most looking forward to seeing, um, that's a harder question for me. I'm going to go with, uh, gosh, you know what? I'm going to go with the Usos versus the Revival. Ooh, good choice. Because I love tag... Because I love tag team wrestling, so any chance I can get to watch two amazing tag teams put on a clinic, top notch for me. I think for for SmackDown, overall impression for me is I'm really excited to see Finn Balor there as well as Roman Reigns. Because I think that if they ever decide to play up the Roman Reigns that they played up in 2016, and I think it's inevitable. I mean, the honeymoon period of him coming back and, and having everybody cheer him because... He beat cancer, which is an amazing thing. But, you know, wrestling fans, as as mentioned, are fickle. So it's only a matter of time. If the presentation doesn't drastically change with Roman, we're going to be back into that boat where he's the, he's Mr. Controversy. And when he is, there are few opponents I like watching him wrestle more than, than Finn Balor, who I think presents a very natural foil to them. And when those two are in the ring together... It's very smooth. It's my kind of wrestling, watching those two. Obviously, Daniel Bryan versus Roman Reigns again in in the current form or whatever form it would ultimately take. Sounds good, too. So, Ray Cash, how about you? What are I, your feelings on the on the SmackDown side of things from the shakeup? 
Um, to back to what you were saying, Roman has a real taker-esque quality about him, in that he's he wrestles when he's rest, he wrestles better wrestling smaller guys. You know what Absolutely. I mean? And a lot of guys do it the other way around. They wrestle better, bumping for bigger dudes. But when Roman's wrestling AJ or Finn or Brian or any of these smaller guys, to a smaller extent, um, Rollins, the matches are impeccable because he can use his strength and his aggre- and aggression as a as a strength, if you will. But um, to for for the smack for the SmackDown in general, but encompassing the whole uh, Superstar shakeup, I think the key was. Breaking up the monotony. Um, if we're going to assume that both brands, are, except for what Rumble and Survivor Series and WrestleMania season, are going to largely stay separate, then like AJ had to go. The Usos, Naomi had to go. Roman and Finn had to go. There needed to be some monotony broken up. Um, but I'm going to give you two matches that I'm looking forward to. And this is you don't really get to see me mark out as a fan very much on air. Because I try to be reserved. But on Raw, Andrade versus Ricochet is going to like light up the entire WrestleSphere. And from, from I've been a mark for this dude for like four years. So Buddy Murphy on SmackDown is like the biggest move I think they did. And you know what? Say what you want. Think what you want. I don't care. That man is amazing in the ring and he is growing his character. And if you give me... I don't even need a few WWE. Give me one Buddy Murphy versus Roman Reigns match, and I won't ask for nothing else for like a year. Because what those two can do. I still do, have no opinion. I still okay. have no opinion on Buddy because it's, I. know uh, I have no opinion on Buddy because I don't watch 205. So I have uh, no opinion on Buddy Murphy. It's okay. It's okay. You'll learn something. 205 Live is now. the best WWE wrestling show. 100%. I don't doubt that 205 Live is wonderful. I don't doubt it. But I just don't have that time right now in my life for an extra hour of wrestling. Understood. Well, fair enough. Ray, anything else you wanted to mention about the shakeup or any other matches you want to see? Um. Oh, my God. There's tons of matches I want to see. I mean, just, just the matches that... I think the best, I think the biggest match WWE can still do now, now that Ambrose is officially, is essentially gone. The biggest match you can run is Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns again. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's after all that's, oh my God, after all that's happened for both of them and Bryan playing Captain Planet, you know, the, the new heel character. We are Planeteers. I'm telling you, man, that, that match, that match could be gigantic for them if they build it right. Kyle, did you have anything you wanted to mention about the Raw brand and its shake-up thoughts? Um, I mean, I think Raw played out kind of how I expected Raw to play out. They took characters that were already more established or people who had been on SmackDown for, like, ever. AJ, The Usos, Naomi, they'd been there for a really long time. They moved Miz back over to Raw because he'd kind of run his course in um, the SmackDown roster as well. Um, and I think the shakeup did what the shakeup kind of needed to do in that it played to the strengths of both shows. Raw does well with characters that are already built. Raw struggles to build the characters themselves. SmackDown does a better job of building characters, and then they get to a certain point, and SmackDown runs out of things to do with them. So I think that the people that moved were moved strategically. I'm curious to see what Cedric Alexander does on Raw now that 205 has kind of finally started to fulfill the role of, like, a place you go and figure yourself out and then get moved on somewhere else. I will say I'm sad that my boy Drew Gulak is still trapped on 205 Live. More Drew Gulak in my life, please. If I could get him on Monday or Tuesday, that would be great. Um, but no, I think the shakeup is doing what it needs to do. I think that Finn being moved, I hadn't even thought about him before, but I think that'll be good for his character because he was getting kind of stale and SmackDown can freshen him up a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Uh, The match, by the way, that to me blows everything else out of the water that, uh, that they can do. That's still a possibility. And, and I'll, I'll say it's kind of become for me in this late part of this decade, what middle of last decade angle versus Michaels was for me. 
Uh, just a match mm-hmm. between two guys on two different brands who are tearing it up year after year. I want to see them face each other, and that's Seth Rollins versus AJ Styles. And, yeah. and now you know, Rollins is the champ. Styles comes in. If they went that way right away, it would not disappoint me. But, God, I would love to see that on the SummerSlam stage, one of the bigger stages historically. So that's, that's to me, that's the biggest match coming out of the shakeup that I absolutely cannot wait to see. And if they were able to wait until WrestleMania 36 for that, then, ah, that to me, that's the type of match that WrestleMania was all about back in the day before everything changed. So... We we just booked the mania the card WrestleMania thirty six uh, Rollins AJ and Brian Reigns book it. I don't see why you wouldn't. I mean, and back in the day, I used to the day after WrestleMania, I would write down my WrestleMania card for the following year, and I would book always what I felt like was the most logical thing that could be next up on the on that upper tier, and and those two matches seem like the two biggest things that each brand could I'll respectively give you a- do. I'll give you one I want to see that none of us are talking about right now, but I've been pushing for this for a couple weeks. I want to see Kofi King versus Xavier Woods after Xavier Woods destroys the New Day because he's smarter than you. Dr. Xavier Woods, Ph.D., he's smarter than you. Oh, man. There's a part of me that would love to see that, and there's a part of me that doesn't want to see that. Kind of like ending the streak. Oh, I, I know. I told no. I totally get it. Like they're one of those units that's been a unit long enough that like I don't want them to break up. But at the same time, I, I just feel like there is such a beautiful heel character waiting in Xavier Woods. If they were to just play up that whole PhD, he's a little guy, but he's super smart and he's just like yeah. Doctor Xavier Woods. He knows better. I, I I still got beef with. I still got on site beef with Seth Rollins. I just wanted to be known. Like, you know, it's cool. Like, you family again, but if I see you in the street. Oh, man. I I would love to see. I I mean, Uh, that would come out of nowhere. It's the perfect time to do it right now. I mean, you know, maximize the heat that you could get from it. If you're Xavier Woods and you you actually connect on that, then you're like Rollins. You're set for, you know, for as long as you're around. And he's young enough to, to go out and make, make a ton of money on his own, you know. And I think eventually all three of those, or particularly Big E and, and Xavier Woods, they're they're young enough. Surely they want that. Like, there's a there's part of them that surely wants to stay a group because they love what they've built. But eventually you want the next challenge. Eventually you got to push yourself to something else. And both of them have got to want to go out and prove that they can do it on their own. So we'll talk about that. And they achieved the goal. They always say, their goal was to help Kofi get a title, and Kofi's Check. the champ now. Yep. What's, so, what's next? Got to set new goals. What's next? All right, well, gentlemen, plug your stuff, and then we're going to sign off here. And uh, I, I, I want to go ahead and quickly say, first and foremost, that it's been a pleasure having you guys on the show. I really enjoyed it. So, gentlemen, plug your stuff, and I'll sign off. Chad, thanks so much for having us. Um, y'all can find me on Twitter. I am at Dr. S'mores. You can find our missing brother-in-law's Carl on Twitter, at Outsider Curvin. He has the best Twitter of anyone on the show. Um, yeah, you can follow me at It's Ray Cash, R-E-Y as in Mysterio, C-A-S-H as in Dollars. The show is at Outsider's Edge, S-S, and we're on ChairShot Radio Network, and that's at TheChairShot.com where you always use your head. Excellent, gentlemen. Well, everybody, be sure to check out the rest of the LOP radio lineup throughout the course of the week. Tomorrow, it's uh, it's the Kingdom of Honor on Tuesday. It's the Global Revolution. Wednesday, it's Sports Entertainment is Dead with Samuel Plan. Thursday, it's the Implications with the Perfect Ten Wrestling Podcast. Friday, it's the Right Side of the Pond. Saturday, it's all about All Elite. And then next Sunday, I'll be back with the latest episode of The Doc Says. Looking back... As we start looking at the end of this decade for WWE, we're going to look back specifically at 2010, looking at the stories that shaped that year and what it meant as we moved forward into the decade at large. I'm actually going to the Crockett Cup next Saturday, so I will look forward to that. I am. The Crockett Cup was a very famous tag team tournament put on by the National Wrestling Alliance 
in the mid to late 80s, and I'm very excited to go and be a part of that. And uh, there's going to be a uh, an NWA championship match between Nick Aldis and Marty Skrull as well. So it's going to be a fun card, kind of a joint venture between NWA, ROH, and New Japan. So it's in Concord, North Carolina. Shout out to MLW. Shout out to MLW for making the NWA relevant again. Absolutely. It's been cool. been a cool thing to see. All right. Well, for Ray Cash, Kyle Moores, this has been the Doc Chad Matthews. Everybody have a great wrestling week, and I'll catch you next week. This is just what the Doc ordered. I'm saying welcome. They sick of the other shows. Chad here to help them. The author of the Mania era is bringing terror on LOP radio. This is the prepare for the knowledge that he about to showcase. Like a bar that you lift, his opinions hold weight. He wrote a few books, and he's working on another for y'all. This is a five-star podcast. Chad, let's get it on. Author of the WrestleMania. 